So, I am super excited to be joined by another Tom, uh, Tom and Tom. Uh, this is Tom Kilroy, who's the Chief Executive of Keyloop. Um, good morning, Tom. Good morning, Tom. Thanks so much for inviting me along. So, um, I know Keyloop really well, uh, or, uh, as I'd like to think. Um, you tell us, uh, who is Keyloop and how would you describe the change journey that you're taking Keyloop on at the moment? Yeah, so um, we're a, a company that makes um, uh, software for the automotive sector and mostly for automotive retailers. And the company has like a, a, a pretty uh, long history in software terms. You know, it goes back sort of 30 or 40 years um, and has customers all over Europe and the Middle East and Asia. And um, we are, um, we're, we're busy going through, you know, a change to be, you know, the sort of next generation of technology. Um, and we're thinking about how to, to, to make sure we can refresh and innovate uh, and, and bring new things to our customers on top of the long experience that we've already got. That's awesome. And in a week where we saw Tesla uh, sell 100,000 cars to Hertz. And I read an amazing statistic that Tesla is worth more than the top 11 car producers combined. What is the what does the future of the automotive sector look like? Well, I think, you know, zero carbon mobility is absolutely um, where we are going. And I think for the for very good reasons, because we obviously, you know, if you just take the UK, it's 35 million cars on the roads. Um, and obviously, that's uh, that's a lot of pollution. So um, it's a gradual journey, and I think Tesla's valuation just reflects the fact that they're further down that journey. But on the other hand, several of the others, including the other large players uh, like Toyota and Volkswagen and others, are are doing a lot to catch up. But there's no question that we're headed for a you know a zero carbon uh, transport system. And I've promised myself, Tom, that if I win the lottery. Uh, I'm going to buy myself a Rivian, uh, which is the wow. is one, one to watch, I think. Do you, do you agree with that choice or not? Yeah, there are some. I mean, the, the thing is about some of these electric cars is they are great. I mean, they're very cool. I don't know whether you've driven one, but they are wonderful to drive. It is a very talky. Yes. And also quiet and and very immediate and, and just a, a feeling that, you know, it's actually quite nice, of course, not to have to put any kind of fuel into them, um, just in terms of you know, petrol uh, and the and the exhaust and emissions that come with it. Yeah. Now, the, the reason I, I totally agree. Now, the reason I invited you along is because I want this podcast to be about culture and leadership and talent. And there are so many key stakeholders in that agenda. And the key one for me is the chief executive, because, you know, culture emanates at the top. Uh, leadership style emanates at the top. And in smart organizations, chief executives have a real handle on uh, the talent agenda and how the talent agenda underpins their business performance. But before we get into that, I'd like to know a bit more about Tom. So this Tom, Tom Crawford, uh, studied a completely pointless degree in German literature and ended up 26 years later as uh, working in organizational behaviors and culture. What was the journey for Tom K? Uh, into becoming a, a chief executive? And did you always want to be one? 
Uh, no, in fact, I very much <laughs> didn't. And um, no, I mean, I so I, it, it, I don't think any studies are useless. I, I, I was, I, I was, I went and did sciences. I, I did materials engineering, so I was a scientist at, at university, and then I actually became a lawyer, um, huh. mainly because my tutor in science said, um, "You're very argumentative. <laughs> you should go and become a lawyer." So I did that, which I enjoyed, and did that for quite a long time, and then ended up moving into general management probably about 15 years ago. Um, and I've always enjoyed working in companies and I've been doing that probably for more than 20 years. Um, I didn't set out with some idea that I wanted to be a chief executive. And I, I think it would be a pretty odd, and no doubt some people do, but I think that would have fairly, be a fairly odd ambition. Keyloop, key as I mentioned, is going through uh, a, a lot of change and you know some of it painful change. Um, and you know you're having some very adult adult conversations uh with your people what what does the right talent profile mean for you in your future what what does having the right talent mean for you in terms of being able to achieve the ambition that you're setting out with your team well i mean for us it means everything because we are literally you know i mean it, it's, it's easy for people to say this but the it, for a knowledge business, such as a software and technology business, you know, we really are the sum of our people and pretty much nothing else. I mean, we, we consist of offices with people with laptops, um, you know, coding. And so, you know, talent, the ability to create the right environment where people want to come and work is, is critically important. I mean, it is, it is, is the defining thing that will determine whether the company ultimately succeeds. And, um, and I think it's particularly important right now because, you know, there's a lot of talk about this, but coming out of the pandemic, um, or, you know, maybe we're still in it, but, um, you know, the experience of the last couple of years, I think has caused a lot of people to reflect on the question of what do they value and what, how do they value spending their time and how do they want to, to work? And I mean, you're probably well aware, Tom, that there's a sort of lot of talk in business at the moment about, you know, the great resignation or yes. the great attrition. And I think that does, there's, there is something important to this, which is that there is a disconnect between what uh, employers, and you could say what chief executives think employees value and what they do value. Mm -hmm. um, and unless we understand that and try to cross that bridge, we won't succeed in attracting the right talent um and i think that's that's the challenge for organizations whatever stage they're in including going through quite a lot of change as we are i i you, i totally agree uh i have the the benefit of speaking to a lot of uh hr directors uh, senior leaders across different sectors and, and different geographies and uh they are all saying that the psychological impact on top talent around you know, as you described and what do I really want out of life what do I really want my relationship with work to be what do I uh how do I want to feel when I'm in work what do I want how loud a voice do I want to have when I'm in the workplace and I think COVID has been a real sort of reset on all of that how, how do you how do you bridge that that gap that you described around the senior leaders thinking they know what talent wants and actually understanding what talent wants. How are you connected to your talent? Well, I mean, in the end, you have to ask people. Um, you can read 
surveys of what other people are finding out. And I do think that's helpful um, because, you know, those surveys tell us that things like being valued by the organization or having a sense of belonging um, and common purpose are more important to people mm. than many other factors and will outweigh them. But I think in the end, you, you need to ask people. I mean, when, when we were thinking about how to structure flexible working, you know, um, including hybrid office and, and remote, uh, we, we went and asked the whole company, mm. what, what do you want to do? And I, I, I think you just got to keep your ears open because um, if you don't, you will misjudge it. And I, th- I think it's, it's one thing having your ears open, but it's another thing for your, your colleagues to know that your ears are open and that in having your ears open, they can put, they can, they can put thoughts in them, i.e. that you're accessible, that you are uh, open to challenge. And uh, I'd be interested to know on that, what, what sort of culture do you want to create? Because I, I know that you're going through the, the whole values and behaviours exercise at the minute, and you're doing it in quite an interesting way. And, you know, I, I sense a real determination to make sure that they exist beyond uh, the confines of a mouse mat or a poster behind the receptionist. What, yeah. what, what is the culture that you want to have in Keyloop for talent to have a dialogue with people like you? We, we've chosen, you're right, we, we've had an interesting approach to creating those values. We we created a, a culture club group within the company, which includes, you know, 80 to 90 people who've worked together on the creation of those. And we've ended mm. up with three, which I which I like, and they are bold, authentic and united. Mm. Um, and and I do, you, you talked about how do, how do you create a culture where people can can speak up or approach you. I think, funnily enough, Tom, it goes to something we were talking about at the beginning uh, or a little earlier in our chat, which was if you've got a chief executive who, who thinks that, the, that they're in that role just to boss people or other people around and tell them what to do, people are going to be very reluctant to say what they really think because the, the question is, what, what's the return on doing so? Um, I personally don't want to create a culture like that, nor do I see myself in a role for that purpose. I see me and my immediate team as uh, our primary job is to create an environment where other people can succeed. Um, And if we do that, uh, we will unleash the potential of other people and we'll also allow, we'll encourage, we'll we'll attract people to join the company. And that, that doesn't happen overnight. But I think um, it's a direction, and you've got to you've got to persist with it. I think culture, in the end, does really trump everything else. I, I feel that around culture, uh, and I chose a long time ago to uh, work in this field. But why do you feel culture trumps everything? Well, if I think about the organisations that I've worked in, where I felt most strongly a sense of belonging, or, or or felt that it was a good compatibility between how I my own values that I think of in my in my own life and mm. um, and work and were those stretched or was it was it a question of having to force oneself into the environment and try to adapt to it or could you could you be um, could you be natural in the environment you're in did, did the culture fit you well and and I think not just me but the, all the people around me in other words was it was it a was it that kind of culture where people could be themselves and, and get their best work done? And I think that the challenge is there aren't many cultures. Like it doesn't take much to throw culture off course. Yeah. Um, and, um, 
and 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 but I do think as I think of my own experience through my career those have been the environments in which I've been most happy um and and seen my colleagues be most happy and I'm glad you talked about your career because uh I did a, li a little bit of light LinkedIn uh stalking on you uh <laughs> Mr Kilroy and one of the things that I often talk about in, in, in talks or speeches or in, in leadership workshops is that, you know, there is a generation of leaders who are my age, sort of uh, late 40s, early 50s plus, who grew up in the sort of management culture of the late 80s and uh, 90s. And, and they're like you leading organizations. And one of the examples I always give is, is GE because, uh, and it, G was famous for that, uh, you know, the bottom 10%, you know, and but other organizations emulated it. So it wasn't just limited to GE. And I think what that developed was uh, a lack of community inside organizations, a lack of cohesion. People uh, were more likely to be out for themselves because if they saw a colleague um, have any form of weakness or development need, which is obviously totally natural, um, that was an opportunity to get one over on them and make sure that they weren't in the top 10, uh, bottom 10%. And, and, and so I, I think there are a lot of people running organizations who grew up in that world, uh, which was very me orientated. And now we're asking leaders to be humble, to show humility, to show vulnerability, to uh, lead over generations uh, that are 20, 30 years younger, who uh, are much more emotive, who uh, want a different type of working environment. What's it like to have grown up in a GE environment and now find yourself working in uh, the, the, the new age, particularly post-COVID? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, the, 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 yes, I agree with you. Well, if I could put it like this, because I spent several years at, at GE um, in the healthcare business, and, and I did work with some wonderful people. And I think there, there were many great people in, inside that organisation. I would also say that I think we collectively knew that something had gone wrong with the culture, because... The way you describe um, the sort of me first or, or, or also actually the aspects of where it wasn't about telling people honestly how things were. But I mean, the criticism of that company was that it ended up with, you know, the success theater was what they called it, where you know, only good news was welcome. Um, and the danger was that if you actually needed to explain either a development need, which, of course, we all have, or, or even like a business challenge, um, there was resistance to that. And I think that did go wrong. I mean, you can see the results of that. I mean, you know, it's, it's been pretty tragic to watch what happened to what was a, a successful organisation. I think in the end, I would have to identify cultural reasons as being uh, a major part of that. And it's certainly been my intention in businesses I've led since then not to try to reproduce those kinds of failings. And I, I, I don't... I, I, I don't think we want a culture of timidity. We, we want one, I mean, to, to use our word, bold is important, right? People do need to feel mm. able to be bold and do things that they otherwise wouldn't be able to do. But they need also to feel reassured that that's not because if they try and do things and they don't work well, that they're going to be, you know, that, that it's going to bounce back on them. Um, they, they, they actually need to be supported. People need to be called out for um for for their 
you know, successes, but also for their brave attempts that don't go mm. right. And you see this actually in in software engineering culture, where you know, if you look at um, some of the organisations that actually have failure boards, where they celebrate, you know, things that have failed to work but they've tried to do, um, and that mentality I think is quite a different one, and and it's about creating an environment which is safer. Mm-hmm. But which is also still ambitious. I, I don't think it's. I don't think those two things are incompatible. Um, in fact, I'm sure they're not. And I, I think if, to get a culture right, you have to emphasise both. You know, we we can we can aim for big things, but we're going to support each other on the way. And you know, and that's those are um, those are compatible ambitions. I I think so. I I think that. Uh, doing what you've just described around learning from failure and embracing appropriate failure. (laughs) Um, It requires a a level of dialogue and being able to facilitate dialogue and actually going back to something you said earlier, being very purpose orientated, which is the thing that's going to see us through this failure discussion is a collective desire to achieve our purpose and that purpose trumps everything else. I, I know some of your leaders will be listening to this, and uh, I'd, I'd be excited for them to listen to this. Thinking about that culture that you've just described, and also the behavior journey, behavior change journey that Key Loop is going on, what do you need from your leaders? What, what do you expect from them, and, and what can they expect from you? Well, I think that people need to become the leader they'd like to work for themselves. Um, oh, I love and, that. You know, and I think that requires them to think hard about the way they react to, this, you know, the people that are working for them. So, I mean, you, we talked a little bit and you raised the point about the change in culture that we've seen in business across the last, you know, 20, 30 years away from command and control and towards um, trying to uh, encourage people to, to, to achieve things. I think also to push them but I think in the end, it's a partly about the behavior that, with, that you use as you respond to people. I don't think it, it's, it, I don't, I th- so what I'd say to people who are leading in our organization is you do need to challenge people to, to imagine things to be different than they are, but they need to have the courage to be able to speak to you. You can't, I think in leadership roles, if you adversely react or your behavior is not predictable, um, it has a massive effect on the organization, far more than you realize. I mean, you just can't be in a bad mood and snappy and, you know, unreceptive. And and if you're feeling that way, the, the thing is take yourself out of the situation and come back when you're not. Um, because, you know, we all have moments like that. But what you can't afford to do is the shadow of the leader is important. And the, the shadow that you cast people, people follow that. And they model their behavior on what they see uh, from the people that lead them. And so, you know, I, I, I do, you know, to go back to the, which I'm glad you like, but try and become the, the leader you'd like to work for yourself. And I, I often say that uh, leaders are a bit like teachers. There were those teachers at school that uh, cajoled us, encouraged us, got us to see that we could do things or prove that we could do things we didn't think we could. Uh, and then there, there were those teachers that we wouldn't throw a bucket of water on if they were on fire uh, in front of us today, those le- teachers that belittled us and, and held back our potential. And I, I think um, 
I, I love the be the leader that you would like to be led by yourself. I, I, I really like that. And, and, you know, thinking, Tom, you, you have basically found a much more uh, eloquent and interesting way to say people are our greatest asset and, and you've proved it. Now, you can't achieve that on your own as a, as a chief executive. What, what do you require in your chief people officer or your, your, your talent team? What, what do you need from them in order to help you uh, as the chief executive and owner of talent across the business? Well, I think the the answer is a whole number of things, but a, a, a whole number of sort of um, things that, ele- that 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 bring to the fore um, what our talent situation is. I mean, I think everything from spotting gaps in our own talent capability, and that may be around skills, to spotting people with high potential. Mm-hmm. I think most organizations are not good enough at identifying um, people who could move into other roles that I mean, almost actually not imaginative enough. Yeah. Um, because the danger is that you start to look at people and just imagine them always doing what they do now. Yeah. Um, and, and so the, actually one of the key things I think we need from our, our people team is the imagination to see where people could thrive. And then the, you know, the, the, them pushing us as, as leaders to, because people don't want to change things, right? They don't, they like to hang on to people that they've got even if the right thing for that person is to is to take a new challenge, um, maybe in another function in the organization or even in another country. And, um, and I, th- I think you can't have stasis, but at the same time, you can't have chaos, right? You can't have, but people don't like continuous change, right? You know, there have, there have to be, there have to be, there have to be moments when people think, right, okay, we've, we've settled in. We think we've got a good um, plan here. We're going to pursue this for, some time and see how it goes. But I think, I mean, Tom, to answer your question, I think the thing I want most, as well as processes around identifying talent, having honest conversations with people about how they're doing, all those kinds of things, I do think the imagination to think of the organization differently than it currently is. And and, and if you don't mind, can I give a sort of another pandemic example, which is post the pandemic, as we went to this question of a flexible model, one of the things we decided to do is to let the teams do their own charters on how they want to work. So which yeah. days they want to come in, when they want to be at home. So we put it into their hands. Now, I don't think even five, 10 years ago, would have people would have thought that was for, a, for large organizations, something that they'd be doing. And I think it's great when our people team, actually, they came up with that and suggest, why don't mm-hmm. we, you know, why don't we be imaginative here and let people run it themselves and suddenly you think, yeah, that's a great idea. Why don't we do that? So, I mean, in a way, I mean, just pushing us to, to imagine how it could be um, rather than just how it is now. And, and I, I think too many people teams or organizations push their people teams to not be brave enough to not take a punt on, you know, moving people around uh, different functions and disciplines in order to be disruptive. And the kind of working that you've just described that does also require an adult-adult culture. It requires that alignment around a North Star purpose, which is, uh, okay, I, I need to give my organization this, and I get in return from my organization that that sense of deal through constant dialogue. So I, I, I'd be interested to see how that pans out, because I, I think that's a real test uh, of organizational culture. One one of the other things that you and I have chatted about in the past is the fact that um, Keyloop is 
uh, and I hope I get this terminology correct, is private equity backed. Yes. And uh, I've had some interesting uh, experiences with private equity. I, on the, and I know it's a generalization, but on the whole, I have a working suspicion that private equity don't think like you do and don't realize that actually in order to realize their investment quicker to fulfill their return on investment faster they need to look at things like culture what the culture enables what the culture hinders what the culture will leverage or won't leverage they need to look at quality of leadership apart from uh, as part of that and um, I just have this overall feeling that that private equity don't value the role of talent uh, in business performance. Um, am I being unjust? Well, no, I think, I think you're being partially just. I mean, there's <laughs> a, it's, 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 a, um, it's, a, it's a legitimate charge at, the, at what is quite a large industry. And I, there are parts of it where I have to say I would agree with you. Um, and but, and the, the, the caricature, of course, is that, you know, that, that, it, that private equity is people by people, mm. with, you know, spreadsheets um, and calculators and are focused on that side of things rather than the, the people within their organizations. I mean, for, for me, the litmus test of, of joining FP, who are our particular owners, because I do think there are our firms who have understood how important this is. Mm. And I, I think our owners are one of them. And the, for me, one of the things was that when I was, was joining the firm to be both a, you know, an operating partner, but then you know, potentially a chief executive of one of their companies, um, I had to go through a whole day with, um, you know, an, an industrial psychologist, um, a, a guy from, from Boston who, who really did um, almost felt like I was being taken apart um, to, to really understand my motivations and how I would lead an organization. And, and, I, and obviously those kinds of processes are quite expensive, but when, when um, for, for, for the firm, but if the firm is taking the choice of its leaders for its companies seriously mm. um, and putting effort into that and really trying to understand what are, how, how is this person going to work and how they're going to respond in different situations? And do we entrust a large group of people to somebody like this? Um, they take that kind of talent selection seriously. I think it's a great sign. Yeah. But they do understand that that is, um, is important. And I think actually, you know, for, if you asked our firm, our owners, they would say that um, choosing the right leadership for for a company is one of the features, one of the most important, you know, top mm. three things that you can do to to to, to get things right. And um, but I do, Tom. I think you're not wrong about the fact that the value of culture and the importance of leadership and the culture that they mm. create is not has not been, in my view, well understood by many private equity houses and that and you you know i think that may be changing i think it probably is changing but um but it's a valid charge i think okay i'll i'll, I'll take that and and uh you know i i i think it is changing i hope it does change uh because i i think it, it's the ultimate proof that culture and leadership and the quality of those things help drive business performance um tom you you've talked about COVID and the impact on the organization. Can I ask about Tom Kilroy, the, the, the human, the, the man behind the job title? What, what did COVID and living through COVID and leading through COVID make you think about life and your relationship with work? 
Yeah, good, great question. I mean, I think at the very beginning, you know, there was a real sense of um, fear for the organization that, you know, the question of you know, how much were we going to be able as an organization to survive? Um, and, you know, what might it mean for, for, the, for the people working in the company that I was in at the time? I think after that, that you know, as we, st- as, what was impressive was just how adaptable people are and mm. the way they responded. And, you know, th- th- there was that sense of amazement that actually it was possible not just to keep doing business, but actually to do it well. Um, and that was impressive. And then the sort of deeper things started to come through, like, you know, what's this doing to us and how are we all feeling? And just talking personally, I mean, I, I need to admit that in some ways the pandemic, you know, on a personal front, um, I spent more time with my family mm. in that year than I had done, you know, in any year for probably mm. 15 years beforehand. And so it did help me rebuild family relationships, deepen them, my relationships with my children. Um, and I sort of, at the beginning of the pandemic, I was thinking, well, either this is going to work or they'll move out and won't be the forwarding <laughs> address. Um, and uh, so I I think and it did make me realise that, you know, the frenetic travel mm. and the, the sort of sense of like the hamster wheel the ability to pause that for a minute and still actually see the business succeeding and see people adapting, it did make me reflect on there is more than one way to do this. And we, there's more than one way to allow other people to do this. Yeah. And we, we mustn't have cultures of presenteeism or whatever it is that, you know, has been a problem in the past. But on a personal level, um, you know, it, it's been for all of us a challenge but I have to say on in terms of impact on family life and my own relationships with my family I found that to be to be a positive thing. And, and you, thank you for that Tom and, and and you and I have met on a number of occasions and uh, one that I particularly enjoyed was when uh, I was uh, you'd invited me to chair a panel around mental health for colleagues uh, at Key Loop and um, you know, you were very honest about your understanding of mental health and how you feel it impacts the the, the workplace. Um, knowing that your 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 colleagues are listening and uh, you know people who might want to follow in your footsteps, what does what does Tom Kilroy do to manage his resilience? What does Tom Kilroy do in order to uh, maintain his mental strength, particularly in a very challenging environment? Yeah, I um, it's great. Another great question. I I I, I try. I mean, I, I I try to do a few things. Um, I try not to obsess over the news. Um, and I have stopped following social media feeds in the same way that I used to because I just didn't find that. I, I was was you know just if you don't just it just it become I've just felt overwhelmed by it. I've got to be honest with you. I I did too, Tom. Sorry to interrupt you, but I have all but stopped my uh, social media um, connection and I have stopped being the news junkie that I was because I realized that I was absorbing so much negativity uh, on things I could do very little to influence. And uh, it's made me realize that there's an opportunity to influence much more close to home in a positive way. So I totally agree with you. Sorry, I interrupted. No, no. And, and so that was one thing. And, and because I found myself sort of doom scrolling, as they call it. Yep. Right? Um, and th- so actually, in order to not just do that, I do a few other things. I do volunteer um, for some local uh, things here. And I do really mean local. 
um, which which means that I'm uh, at the weekend. I often have uh, meetings or you know even just going around knocking on doors. Um, and so that's something which is very much tied to the local area that I live in, just very, very nearby. And then I do things like I, 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 I try to exercise and, you know, like everybody, I find it hard to exercise all the time. But I did get myself um, one of these rowing machines where, where they, 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 they have pre-recorded sessions on there and so I get um shouted at by enthusiastic <laughs> Americans for 30 minutes I, I managed to do that this morning Tom I'm pleased to say so that and um so that was and I do that kind of thing I actually go for walks I, I find actually at the weekend that to walk for a couple of hours um can be incredibly restorative far yeah. far more than you expect and it's funny because it only starts once you're on the walk I'm lucky enough to live near some some hills in the countryside and um and I find that once you're about an hour in, your mind starts to clear. I, I don't know what does it, but I, but it works for me. And I suppose it's not a you know it's a it's a no cost um, uh, thing that any any one of us can do. And, and it just for me, it just happens to work very well. Do you have a dog, Tom? No, we, we, I don't. I, I I do have four ducks, um, but you can't take you can't take those for a walk. <laughs> Yeah, no, we don't. We, my daughter, my oldest daughter, is very keen on the idea of getting a wirehead actioned. Um, so there's a possibility that that might happen, but uh, we'll see. <laughs> the the, the um, this is totally apropos of nothing, uh, but our cleaning lady uh, is a breeder of champion wirehead dachshunds in France. Tom, oh, I can really? really, I can connect you. I think that might be very helpful to like really much. <laughs> <laughs> if you get nothing out of participating in the podcast today, you might get a wire-haired Dachshund wire-haired puppy. Dachshund. <laughs> they're, they're very gorgeous. In fact, we were looking at them this morning. Uh, um, and I know you have dogs, Tom. And um, dogs, of course, are, I mean, walking the dog and, and having dogs is also a relaxing thing, isn't it? It is. It, it clear, it, they, they, they are so good for clearing the mind. And, and a walk in the countryside, like you know, I live in, in surrounded by hills. And you're right, getting on a walk clears your head. And for me, COVID um, meant that instead of doing 150 flights every year, I was actually at home and, and, and saw all the seasons change from one to the other. And as you're out in nature, um, uh, you can see things change and, you know, you hear the first cuckoo and, and things like that. And uh, it's, it's really good. Tom, Thank you so much for taking the time to share your thoughts. Um, I really appreciate you talking about uh, what culture and leadership and talent means to the person who has ultimate responsibility for the success uh, of an organization. Thanks so much for inviting me, Tom. I really enjoyed talking to you. It's great. Thank you. Thank you. So I am joined now by my Liverpudlian chum um, to talk about uh, our reflections on the interview with Tom. Anyway, how was your week though, Neil? Um, I've had a good week. Thank you, Tom. Um, I, I was just recovering from my introduction. I thought that was quite sweet. Um, I'm coming to terms with the leaves falling, dark nights and Christmas adverts starting to appear on TV and radio. That's part of my week. And then the second part is um, some really interesting briefs at the moment, working with organizations on articulating and broadcasting the new way of work through a proposition and also creating stories behind uh, leadership change. So it's been a fascinating week. How about you? How's your week been? Well, my week's been good. It's been lots of client work, which has kept me off the streets. 
um, but my community project has kept me on the streets. Uh, there will be a GoFundMe at some okay. point to help regenerate my uh, rural French village. Um, but actually, the highlight of my week was um, chairing a panel on men's health where I ended up getting everybody to talk about their bottoms. Um, and okay. I'm, and I'm not sure that was actually the right thing to do. But it was a conversation for Movember around men and why generally why men, we men, uh, are not very good at talking about our health, be that physical health or psychological health. And uh, I'm very conscious that um, I'm approaching 50, although I know some of us have re recently turned 50. And, <laughs> and uh, we should stick the camera up our bums. We don't like to talk about things in that department so i i i'd love to have gone back to my sort of school careers lady in 1987 and uh go back in time and say it's the future i'm talking about our bums on a panel uh for clients but there you are i um, never expected you to come out with that tom for uh, how your week was <laughs> but it's a very very important um cause and an important discussion to have is. so i'm glad that you've been having it and genuinely we're not very good at it but no, um, what, what did you think about what Tom said? Do you know, I loved uh, the conversation between the two Toms. Um, we should have our own TV show, shouldn't we? Double T. Uh, I think there's T a squared. T squared. There you go. Um, lots of different ways of using that analogy. Um, but I think it was it was great. Uh, apart from you introducing your cleaning lady, which I thought was a bit eager. Um, <laughs> I, I think the importance of... And I love the kind, of, the, the kind of background of Tom coming through the command and conquer nature of GE mm. to the much more purpose-driven um, environment today uh, caused by many different things, as, as we've, we've discussed, right? But I think that kind of change and that transformation must have been fascinating for Tom to see, but also to um, adapt to and make sure that there's a focus on a, a value of culture, leadership, and getting leaders to cast the right shadow through behavior, I think, is a really good conversation to be having. Yeah, and he's he's so he's so accessible and so natural about these things. And what it said to me is, I really hope we're moving into the era where chief executives, people like Tom, really do see themselves as the owner of the talent agenda supported by their chief people officer. And, and that, you know, they're very conscious that the type of talent and the environment for that talent are, are both business critical and underpin their ability to achieve their goals and objectives commercially. So uh, I found that I, I found that encouraging. Um, mm, absolutely. And, and I think the other piece as well, whilst we're obviously reading more and more about the future of work which is an overused term it's becoming kind of like the the war for talent but this kind of piece around there's more than one way to do this yes uh, tom mentioned i thought i thought it was that was a really good capture and i i wonder how broad and wide that discussion has been had with the senior leaders in organizations who've been comfortable having that conversation as opposed to putting it to the side i totally agree and and you and i have seen this at least over the 20 years that we've worked together that you know, everybody wants the same model for talent. Everybody wants the nine box this or the Ulrich that or the latest thing at CIPD. And actually, Tom made me feel that there's a new era coming for talent where, well, let's just throw away the rule book and the comfort blankets and let's 
do our own architecture and design around this agenda in order to do what's right for our business. And I love that sense of freedom and creativity that's coming around talent. Mm, absolutely. And and then the other two, the couple of things I picked up on was be the leader you want to work for yourself. Yep. And I know you picked up on that, but so important. You know, why would you treat anybody else differently? Um, so a key, a key piece. And then also the expectation that the talent team and the broader team should be able to imagine what the business could be like as opposed to what it is today. And then um, uh, adapt to, to that with a view of then engaging, retaining, attracting uh, talent in the right way. Yeah, and I think, you know, Clancy uses the term brilliant basics, you know, mm. around pay and, and benefits and those things. And and when I hear you describe what you've just described and I hear Tom talk, you know, the brilliant basics are the stuff that you're just going to outsource. And actually, I do think there is a new era coming for uh, chief people officers and uh, what their department means and what their department looks like. And yeah, I'm excited. I'd love to see more people from a senior level in HR become chief executives. Um, and I'd love to see more non-HR people become chief people officers, maybe get somebody from marketing or IT. You know, if the brilliant basics uh, are outsourced or dealt with um, via a third party, uh, then, the, you know, the talent agenda can benefit from having a completely different background and perspective um, shaping it, I think. I'd agree. And within marketing, being able to, certainly in my, my experience, identifying the change that an organization is going through and then capture what that proposition is to be able to enable the transformation and then make sure the leaders are set up to succeed against that transformation there's a real, you've always thought about the, the blurred lines between marketing and HR, right? I think there's a, there's a really interesting discussion to be had there. Yeah, I, and, and I think this is just an evolution of what we do to our people plays out with the customer. Um, yeah. And I absolutely believe that, that, that Tom and the folks at Keyloop have, have got that front of mind. So um, I think in future episodes, you and I are sourcing guests to talk about ESG. Uh, because everybody's talking about ESG and mm. frankly you and I rarely have an original idea so we might as well um, get on that particular bandwagon <laughs> uh, and I, what do you think about this I also thought about having an episode on coaching because um, again that's something that everybody's talking about and I've got very cynical and politically non-correct views probably worse than my views on organizational behaviors and values um, do you think we should have an episode on coaching I think I think be a great idea. A to listen to your non PC views, but B, there's really interesting discussions around um, providing virtual coaching right now. Yep. So an automated kind of AI type solution which can serve up the best of the best online, but then also a, a kind of flashing button that you can press to speak to a coach, a live coach, a human even, yep. um, and kind of what's right or wrong, or is there a mixture there that will help to businesses to succeed going forward so i am be a really interesting discussion i think it's a market that needs regulating i think there's uh, a lot of wheat and chaff in the coaching world but more on that when we cover that episode so um i'm gonna go away and think about that uh i'm gonna did you, go did you did you get the dash hound by the way this is the most important thing you talked about you went to see some long-haired dash hounds 
Dachshunds. They're called Dachshunds. Dachshunds, sorry, Dachshunds. The f- funny story, in the 1970s, uh, when we were small children, um, uh, my dad bought a Datsun. Okay. Because uh, they were very popular. And we told our grandmother that, that on the telephone that we'd, my, we'd got a Datsun. Um, and three days later, in a poster box of Bonios arrived. <laughs> true story um no um uh the lovely lady that helps us uh at home our cleaning lady christine uh she breeds long-haired wire-haired dachshunds that are champions and i just have to wear david down uh in order that we are uh the proud owners of a wire-haired dachshund puppy but that's that's another story um I'm i feel a dachshund go- getting ordered <laughs> I'm going to go away and plant trees and think about an episode on coaching. Um, what are you going to go away and do? I'm going to go and reach out to my network and think about ESG. I think okay. that could be a good discussion for us to have. I think so too. Uh, Neil, as always, thank you very much. Uh, always a pleasure. Um, thank you. And everybody else, thank you for listening and stay safe and we'll see you soon.